Welcome back to Halford and Bruff here. Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd filling in for Mike Halford. Uh, this hour of Halford and Bruff brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com today. Also by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, that music coming in had a very theme song sound to it. So I was wondering if there was going to be some of A-Dog's patented uh, yeah, lyrics. But yeah. I guess they're still we've, in the... We've tried. It just hasn't happened. We haven't... Uh, the muse has not inspired That's a, that's us. a tough I, one to put lyrics to, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, he needs to inspire us a bit more, too. He needs to give us something. The closest we've come on. is, he's in goal. Kevin Woodley is. Yeah. He's, but you can't force is, these things. No, right? I know. It's, it's just, just We've been honestly trying for like the whole year. And just nothing's happened. It would, be, it would be like forcing Jack Campbell to be good, right, Correct. by playing him in game one of the regular uh, season. Anyways, now joining us on the line from In Goal Magazine at NHL.com. Maybe next time he's on, there'll be lyrics to his theme song. He is Kevin Woodley. Woodley, how's it going, man? He's just not exciting enough to get his own music. What can I say, guys? <laughs> it's the... the this like goaltending erasure will not be tolerated. Yeah, it's <laughs> from a fellow goalie guy too in Ballack coming out and telling you that uh, you're not exciting enough. Um, pretty exciting on Saturday, I thought. Anyways, Casey DeSmith's performance in Edmonton, uh, interesting decision, which we can get into. I thought as well to give him the start in that game, and he backed it up with a really good performance. What did you see from the Canucks backup? Well, exciting and in terms of all the movement and activity, like he's a pretty active goaltender, right? Um, And so at times, yes, exciting, but maybe not in a good way. Um, You know, 39 chances, 15 rebounds. I just finished going through all the rebounds on video. Uh, There's only five that you would sort of qualify as weak rebounds. So that's kind of, that's a positive. But there's a lot of activity in and in front of him because of all the pucks that, that are that are bouncing off of him. And so what you have to have if you've got a Casey to Smith in net, and listen, part of that is the quality of the chances generated. Like there's sometimes you just, you just got to stop the first one. Who cares where the next one goes? And there was certainly a fair amount of that when you give up nine high danger chances against the Oilers on Saturday night. But you're going to need a defense that is willing to win battles in front of you and clear guys out um, and box out and, and move pucks. And I thought for the most part that happened, right? There were obviously a couple of examples where, I mean, right off the hop, what, five shots in 42 <laughs> seconds. That was just that was too chaotic. <laughs> uh, nothing like and, – and I loved actually – the hard part there was after the, the sort of Superman dive across the crease on, on Dreisaitl – he tries to recover into a technical sort of, you know, like slide into reverse and, and swing his backside leg into position, not knowing where the puck is. And I don't know that Drysaddle even got that one at the end. He basically swung that back leg and took the puck in the net with him. So there's going to be – it's going to look busier. Let's put it that way. And there are going to be times where that's not necessarily ends up being a good thing. Um, but there's not much you can criticize about that performance on Saturday night, both in terms of them in front of him, even though they gave up all those chances early. Like, to me, the most encouraging part was of those nine high-danger chances I talked about. In the third period, when they're defending elite, there's only one. That's it. Now, they created looks. They just didn't get them on net. And, again, that's part of guy, having guys in lanes, stuff we haven't seen before in Vancouver. Guys actually eating pucks and being in the right spot to do so. So, um, 
you don't want to get outshot as badly as they were, obviously. Uh, uh, the high danger chances were 9-2. The Canucks scored four off 1.4 expected. Like, that's not going to happen very often. You don't win those games very often. Um, but for as bad as some of uh, the, the play in front of him looked at times, it, it was somehow better than it would have been in the past on nights where you got outshot that bad. There weren't a ton of backdoor seams, and uh, when there was, he was there. So um, all around, encouraging, right? You get a quality start out of your backup goaltender two games into the season, and that gives you hope for, for maybe your ability to play him more than you might have expected coming into it. Um, of course, DeSmith was acquired by the Canucks in the Tanner Pearson trade, and the Canucks had to send the Habs a uh, 2025 third-round draft pick. Um, do you think it was always the Canucks' plan to go out and get an upgrade at the backup position, or do you think this deal just kind of came together because they were focused on moving Tanner Pearson out? Oh, that's a good question. And I'm going to be honest with you, Jason. It's not one I've asked somebody who would know. Um, so I'd be speculating. I think that the pick was more about getting rid of Tanner Pearson. That pick was not getting Casey DeSmith. Casey DeSmith was going on waivers, right? Like you could have had him. So you don't give up. It's different than Sam Lafferty. Right. Where he's not getting to you. You're proactive because you want the player and you don't want somebody else with a claim ahead of you to pick him. Casey DeSmith is not bad. The pick went out to get rid of Tanner Pearson's contract. Make no mistake about mm-hmm. that. Montreal's still carrying three goalies, right? Like, they weren't carrying four. The whole league knew that Casey DeSmith was going on waivers. So um, that, that deal, as much as, like, in terms of giving up the pick and the asset, was very much about getting rid of Pearson's contract. And, hey, if they upgraded in goal as part of it, great. But that, that was very much how that one played out. So, Kev, when we're talking about the Oilers, we're talking a lot about their goaltending and the decision in game one. We haven't spoken to you since then. Jay Woodcroft, the head coach of the Oilers, starts Jack Campbell, and it does not go well. Uh, what did you think about that decision, and, and what do you think about the Oilers' goaltending overall? I wasn't – see, I didn't mind the decision. I watched Campbell's pre, some of Campbell's preseason, and it looked clean. It looked tight. Uh, I don't even know that like, – I don't even know that you completely blame what happened. Uh, on Jack Campbell exclusively in that one, like they just cut, they just got their asses kicked in every aspect of the game, right? And Jack ends up being the guy who's in that at at the start of it. I liked his preseason. I didn't mind the decision to reward him for that preseason. I think there's an there's enough communication, conversation, and of a relationship between the two goalies that that wasn't gonna be a oh man, like you just slighted Stuart Skinner and he's gonna have his tail between his legs and like to me that was just rewarding a guy who had a really good preseason. So I didn't have a problem with it. You know what the curious thing to me regarding the Edmonton Oilers is? We've talked we talked about this last year in the playoffs. The Oilers were, for a bulk of the season, a top-five defensive team. Like To me, they were the Leafs from a few years ago, where all the narratives were about the offense, Mm -hmm. and everybody assumed they couldn't defend for crap, and they were actually really good defensively. All the advanced metrics liked them defensively. Now, interestingly enough, those numbers started to fall off after the Ekholm trade. It's almost like they got him and thought, hey, we've got a good defenseman. We don't have to defend as a unit anymore. We can just rely on him a little more at times. But still, they were a top 10 team defensively, even with him in the lineup. Why do you change your defensive system completely coming off that? 
it felt a little bit like throwing the baby out with the bathwater because of what happened in the playoffs, and now they're playing more of his own, like Vegas did, and they're certainly not the only team to copy what Vegas did, but they look like a team who is in between steps defensively, like they're having to think out there about what they should do and not reacting instinctively and, and leaving weight. Again, Saturday night, they dominated. They shouldn't lose that game, mm-hmm. but in that first game, it looked like like they've got some issues defensively, and I'm seeing people around the league going, oh, the typical Oilers, they can't defend, and <laughs> hey, they're not getting a save either. That's very much a part of it. But I'm like, they could defend last year. They did defend last year. Why the hell would you change that system? Are the Leafs back to not being good defensively? Uh, that's a good question. I'll have to pull up some numbers because, uh, frankly, Jason, I don't care to watch the Leafs all that much. <laughs> and, uh, You're just pandering. Right? You're so- pandering. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm, yes, I'm pandering to you, but more to the reality that I spent the weekend at Sagebrush, my friend. So uh, Ooh, hockey lovely. and watching hockey was not uh, high on my list outside of the Canucks and nice. Oilers game. Um, that little, little, uh, that, was that was a little, bragging. That wasn't little, even a humble that brag. That was just yeah, outright. That was just straight brag. Did you drop a golf course? Yeah, yeah, I just did. Nice. Um, yeah, hey, listen, I pulled the metrics in those first couple of games. The least expected goals against their 24th, five on five. Um, they're 14th on the PK, uh, def- off the rush, they're 18th defenses on their 23rd. Yeah. So a team that again, defensively, despite the reputation has been much better for the past number of seasons early this year. And it's early and these metrics usually you know, like this isn't necessarily who they are, but yeah, if that's what your eye test told you, then you were watching well because uh, the numbers back it up. They're a bottom third team defensively out of the gate. Um, the Canucks can't. Uh, the Canucks can't be looking too good on those metrics either after the game on Saturday, right? Even though we've uh, all been kind of lauding their defensive play, what did the analytics say? Yeah, you know, like listen, like, the high danger chances again, like thirtieth in the league expected goals against five on five in the defensive zone, middle of the pack, sixteenth against the rush mm-hmm. total. They're eighteenth. The PK is twenty seventh. Like those aren't good things. But like I said. Like, you know the Oilers were going to come out, like, ready to, like, storm the gates. And Mm. they did. In the third period, up a goal against that same Oilers team, they only gave up one high-danger chance. And, again, the Oilers created looks. They didn't get them on net. You know, there were some, especially with the goalie pulled, there were some, you know, chances they had, they created, and they didn't get them on net. And that's one thing about clear sight analytics. If you don't, if it, it's not a chance if it can't go in, in their mind. So, so if it didn't hit the net, it doesn't count in these metrics. But in terms of getting them on the net, and again, I think you look at the work of Cole and some of the defensemen in front of Casey to Smith, and they're in those lanes. Like, there's a reason the backdoor passes aren't too wide open nets anymore, right? Like, so there are positives within that. I'm not going to pretend on a night where, you know, you got out chance 39 to 10 and whatever the shots were, 45 to 15, that you were good. But in key moments of that game, it wasn't nearly as chaotic as it looked, at least in terms of the pucks that, that ended up on net. And you held them to one high danger chance. Like there's, there's positives within the ugliness. But you're right. Overall, um, despite the fan base celebrating two and zero, if that were to continue, and let's be honest, they're not going to face the Oilers eighty more times as angry as the Oilers no. Oilers were. Yeah. But like, yeah, there was there there was they gave up too much. 
And, you know, as you pointed out, Kevin, there was every reason to expect the Oilers to come out on fire like they did in that game and for it to be a really tough game for the Canucks. And I think in that light, you know, I, I mentioned this earlier, but Tockett's decision to go with DeSmith is really interesting. Now, I know Demko was battling the flu in the start on Wednesday, so maybe there's just uh, some lingering concerns about getting him some extra rest. But what do you think it tells us that Rick Tockett was so comfortable going to DeSmith in game two? Do you think we can learn anything about how he plans to use his, use his goalies this year from that decision um I, I think like a lot of things around the league right now including the Leafs defensively it's probably too early to make bold statements about it especially given the fact that Thatcher felt bad enough to leave yeah the game just a few nights earlier I guess the the bigger surprise to me was that he practiced on the way out of town um and there's a positive development for you uh the Canucks have a practice goalie Roman Bazran, who we know very well here at Ingle, is the Canucks practice goalie, evidently for the year. And that is huge when it comes to managing Demko's workload. So that on nights where he's had a busy night, he gets out there, does some work with Ian Clark, and he pisses off before he ha- with, rather than having to face like, you know, the next 45 minutes of two on oh and two on one rush drills and things like that that really don't help him. Um, that's, that to me is a development worth following and, and an exciting one from the goaltending world because it's a drum I've been banging for years. I, I think because of the illness situation, you shouldn't read too much into it. Although there is a little part of me that thinks, hey, like the Oilers are going to come out like hair on fire. How do I get my team's attention defensively? Like, how do I make sure that we're committed to defending? Well, maybe not having, you know, one of the top goalies in the league back there. Maybe that gets a little more of that defensive focus. I don't know if that was the thought process, but you do wonder. At the very least, if it was a a case of having confidence in Casey because of how he looked in camp, then it was rewarded, and that bodes well for confidence in going back to him. And there were, like, yeah, there were some rebounds in there, but there was also a lot to like. Um, there were some chances from the slot where I think a lot of goalies are on their knees and probably in, in, in more of, like there's no such thing as a blocking goalie, but there's situations where you have to block. And I think there were thresholds where a lot of goalies would have been in a blocking mode. And Casey is off the release, still on his skates and using active hands. Even when he's sliding into a reverse, like he keeps the hands active. There were saves made because of it that I'm not sure other goaltenders make if they're a little more passive with their hands. Um, there, there was a lot to like, including some of the changes in his game. Like he's a backwards flow guy. I didn't know how that would fit within Clark, but he wasn't off the rush. He's not flowing straight back. He's using the Canucks method of, of what they call track downs where it's short little shuffles back to your post. The fact he's integrated that. And I talked to him a few weeks about like, this was not easy changes to make for mm-hmm. him. This was all new. And the fact some of it seemed somewhat innate to him two games into the season, that was encouraging. We're talking goaltending with Kevin Woodley on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Kev, the Canucks continue their five-game road trip uh, tomorrow in Philly, Thursday in Tampa, Saturday in Florida, and then the following Tuesday in Nashville. So they're going to get a wide array of different types of goaltending. Nashville, we all know, has Saros. Remains to be seen if he'll start for them. Uh, Bobrovsky in Florida remains to be seen if he'll start for them. Um, What is going on in Tampa Bay with the goaltending there with Vasilevsky out? Um, I think they've got a combined cap hit of one and a half million dollars for their goaltending right now. Yeah, and you know, you talk about teams uh, that you would expect 
would sort of try and play better in front of the inexperienced goaltending that they have while Vasilevsky's out. Tampa Bay Lightning early in the season are 25th in expected goals against um, and and giving up a lot of high-danger chances. And so the narrative is going to be, oh, my God, they need Vasilevsky. Uh, Jonas Johansson isn't good enough. Matt Tompkins, who played last night in Ottawa, isn't good enough. And I don't know that that's fair. Are they Vasilevsky? No. Um, listen, I, I sort of admire – I expected Tampa to go get a goalie. I thought maybe it might be Yarl Halak. I thought it might be one of the guys on waivers. And that said, not everybody we expected to end up on waivers ended up on waivers. There's a lot of teams carrying three right now because they don't want to lose a guy. Part of me sort of, and I actually credit my business partner at Ingle, David Hutchison, for bringing this up on our podcast. He's like, I kind of like to see them just stick with the courage of their convictions. Like their goalie coach really believed in Jonas Johansson as the solution as the backup. So if you think he can play, he can play. Matt Tompkins is a guy who I think most people probably only know him uh, maybe from the Olympics last year for Canada. He went, what, 11 years between being drafted and making his NHL debut last night. But Matt also made a lot of changes to his body and his game this summer up in Kelowna. And I know shooters, like NHL shooters that shoot up there, that when when he first started, we're like, eh, not so sure. And by the end of the summer, we're, what the hell did you do with this guy? Like, they were, like he made some changes. He made some significant steps in his game. Um, the problem right now is that's a team that, Outside of their open, like they didn't, they're not scoring. They're not generating offense right now. No stamp close last night. And, you know, they're 25th out of 32 teams defensively. So they're not helping those guys very much. But it's going to be too easy, I think, to just look at the names and say they don't have a chance without Vasilevsky. If they don't start defending better, that's fair. But it's not all on the goaltenders. The, the Canucks are getting Tampa Bay and Florida at a pretty good time. Tampa yeah, Bay, Florida's of course, Vasilevsky. Defensemen, yeah. yeah. And, and Bob's numbers are kind of. You know, well below Bob's expectations, especially coming off the playoffs. Mm. They're not good early on. So yeah, there's this is you know, outside of sorrow's potential at the end of it, this is this is not a bad time to get one. And the Flyers have heart, but who knows? It's the it's the freaking Flyers. So Yeah. They're a bit of a tire fire as well. Yeah. Kev, thanks for joining us. Glad you enjoyed a weekend of golf and thank you for bragging about it. Yeah, it's the last weekend of the season up at Sagebrush, so we managed to we managed to get it in. Highly recommend to anybody who has never been when it opens again. Next I, I, I haven't been, and you're going to take me next year. So thanks for offering. <laughs> See you, buddy. <laughs> thanks, guys. That is Kevin Woodley of Ingle Magazine, and also covering the Canucks at NHL dot com. Uh, we're going to do your what we learns uh, in the final segment coming up at eight thirty. You can text in six fifty six fifty is the Dunbar Tumber, Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. So get yours in. Hashtag WWL. Uh, what you learned in the last, uh, I guess, 72 hours mm-hmm. in sports. You got the whole weekend to work with. Um, so one of the things I learned on Saturday from Elliot Friedman, in addition to his reporting on the Connor Garland situation, is that the NHL is considering a format change of sorts to the NHL draft. 
Finally, the NHL draft. The league is still looking for a location for this season. However, the league and the teams are considering a format change. If you've ever watched the NFL draft or the NBA draft, they don't have everybody in one location. Just the prospects are there, and the teams stay home and do the draft from their home locations. That is being considered for the future. Now, at the Board of Governors meeting, I think the teams were told that they might end up voting on it. It may not go that way. It might just be a poll of teams to see how they feel about the possibility. But I'm told, don't be surprised if that's the way this goes sometime in the future, Ron. Please do this. Please make this happen. I hate watching the NHL draft and all the wasted time there is when they bring... 300 of their employees up on stage. They say the same thing. They say, thanks for hosting. They say, congratulations to whoever won the cup. And then they nervously uh, announce who they've drafted. Also, shout out to Gumboots at our uh, official draft party back home. Oh, my God. Got to get that in there, too. Please do this. The NHL needs to do a better job of filling the the. The the not it's not dead air it's boring air. So on I the draft. okay that stuff all needs to be eliminated. It sucks, but I think you can eliminate that stuff and still have. I like seeing all of the GMs like crowded onto the floor of the rink at their little tables. That is a nice thing, and you know like lifting the phone like oh hey, this GM just wandered over to this mm. table to talk to that GM like that to me is fun. they're probably talking trade. They're like <laughs> they're absolutely not talking trade. What are you where are you going fishing? <laughs> Where'd you get that Danish? Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I think what you do is you. Keep them all on the floor, and then you just have, like, okay, here's what you do. You write your pick down and give it to us, and Mm. we'll go up and announce it. You don't get to come up and talk our ears off for five minutes before you make the pick. But I like having them them all there. The only way I would be into this is if the GMs told the league, it's actually, we're so, like, out there and awkward that it's actually hard for us to do transactions. Like yeah. we would, you know, if they said we would be able to make more trades and do more things if we were just at our war room, uh, at our rink or our practice facility, then I'd be okay with it because that's mm-hmm. always entertaining. But I like seeing them there doing their work and reacting and all that. But they need to make changes. Don't you agree? Like this last draft, is, it gets hard to watch, yeah, especially when there aren't trades. Yeah, when there isn't the big things happening. When nothing and, happens and it's the same parade of guys. Yeah, up and, and you kind of have like the, the interviews with the players. You're always going to have the interviews with the prospects that got drafted, especially mm-hmm. the first round guys. And that's fine. But some of those fall a little bit like there just has to be more to it. I think and in some ways I feel like I'm I'm a lot of the time when I'm watching the draft I'm like come on let's let, let's do something yeah. here like what's going on here I feel like I'm waiting and then it's like you know at any rate I hope they figure something out with that give me a moo cow uh, all right, I have a what we learned, which I learned uh, just mere minutes ago from uh, our own laddie behind the glass which is that uh, my guy Medicine Hat Tigers forward Gavin McKenna making the trip to the Langley Event Center to play the Giants on Wednesday. His only trip this year. Uh, and for people who are not aware, I, I adopted Gavin McKenna as my guy last year on Canucks Talk. At the time, he was only 14 playing in the WHL, putting up points. Now 15, doesn't turn 16 until December. 14 points in eight games. Not eligible for the NHL draft until 2026. So my goal was to get in on the absolute ground floor so that I could say in 2026 that I've been hyping Gavin McKenna uh, for four years. And so far... Things are going swimmingly. He looks. Is he from Whitehorse? He is from. He is from the Yukon. Yes. 
Really? So that's a good story. That's awesome. Um, he's also he, related to Bedard somehow. Is he? Yeah, he's somewhere in the family tree. He's oh, wow. connected to Connor Bedard. And he clearly got some of that well, skill. Well, and he's obviously like, wow. you guys were trying to convince me that uh, Hunter Brustevich was a phenom. I think this is what a phenom looks like when you're 15 <laughs> and you're going two points a game. He was point per in game the at WHL. 14. Yeah. Point per game. So this like, is the next, this, in all seriousness, legit has the chance to be the next kind of phenom prospect mm-hmm. coming up through the dub, coming up through the CHL. Uh, he'll be in Langley. And as you were pointing out, doesn't because he's in the other conference in the in the dub only makes a trip every two years to play the Giants. So you'll have to wait a while uh, if you don't get out there on Wednesday to Has see Gavin been, McKenna. Have there been any players from Whitehorse? Uh, isn't Cousins Dylan Cousins is from the Yukon? I think. I think there's a handful. Yeah, not many. They're probably they all have, play in BC. They come down to BC to play right. hockey. Yeah, usually. but they're born up there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Dylan Cousins is from White, and they're probably like, "What is there to do up here?" Well, we got a lot of ice, got a lot of hockey. <laughs> <laughs> all right, give us a moo cow on that. Uh, text your what we learned into the Dunbar Lumber text line at six fifty six fifty. There's no ticket giveaways today, so I'm noticing a real lack of what we learns. Uh, it's almost like you guys need to be paid to participate, which I get. It's a capitalist society we live in. Text in your what we learned into the Dunbar Lumber text line 650-650. You're listening to the Alfred and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh. God, this is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. All right. It is indeed what we learned time here on Halford and Bruff. What we learned is brought to you. By Get Fire Plan, protect what matters most with comprehensive fire safety plans, monthly audits, and risk mitigation at $200 off. Visit GetFirePlan.com. Oh my god, we're having a fire plan! Uh, Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. This hour is brought to you by Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell & Pound. Visit campbell Pound. Dot com today. Now, uh, before we go to the listeners, Laddie, A-Dog, do you have anything extremely well, I, have a, I have a clarification. You have a clarification. <laughs> okay. A what okay. we learned clarification. An apology. An official well, no, apology I, I did mention Laddie. that the connection between Gavin McKenna and Bedard was quite distant, mm-hmm. so much so that they're oh, not already... actually blood-related. Mm-hmm. Now, that... the important part of a correction and apology is to take accountability, yes. Laddie, yeah, not yeah. to make excuses for yourself. Start off with the excuse. So, <laughs> they are Gavin related, McKenna but... and Connor Bedard are not... Blood related. No, but they have family members intertwined. But Connor Bedard knows a guy who knows a guy who knows <laughs> Gavin McKenna. Yeah, yeah. They shook hands once <laughs> in a tournament. <laughs> oh, they're basically related. They cross paths once or twice. Uh, okay. Uh, A Dog, Laddie, do you have any other? Okay, what we learned? Okay, let's go right to the listeners. We'll print out the submissions into the Dunbar Lumber text line. And this is where you have to read something. I will read something. Okay. Uh, What we learned, this one's unsigned. Uh, While I'm personally gutted as an Ireland supporter, the Rugby World Cup quarterfinals this weekend delivered what was quite possibly the greatest weekend of international rugby of all time. High praise. I don't have a power ranking of uh, 
international rugby weekends offhand, but uh, I'm not a rugby guy. Mm. I'll like watch five minutes here or there at a time, and I enjoy it. I have no idea what's happening or how to evaluate. Yeah, the, I mean, there were evaluate some, it. There were some terrific games, and they went down to the wire in a lot of cases. Um, the best game was probably Ireland and New Zealand, and New Zealand ended up winning in the end. But Ireland, how rugby works is basically like when time expires, if you've still got the ball and you're still, you know, like mm. in possession of the ball, you just keep going until um, there's kind of a stoppage. Like oftentimes the ball will turn over and the other guys will just kick it out of bounds. Kind of like football in that sense, right? Like you can keep running after the yeah, after, after the whistle goes. Exactly. Yeah. And Ireland had like 30 phases and watching them try and score on the All Blacks, like y- you just got a uh, – you got a sense of, first of all, like the fitness that those guys have, how tough they are, and how they just leave it all on the field. And I felt really bad for Ireland. Like, I, I, I thought they got screwed with the draw. They ended up getting the All Blacks in the quarterfinals. And, you know, France got screwed with the draw, too. They got South Africa. Meanwhile, England, like, doesn't play well coming into the tournament and, frankly, didn't really play well in the group stage. Um, They nearly lost to Samoa. And then their draw is great, and they get Fiji. But Fiji nearly beat them all four of those games. But basically, in a nutshell, it looks like it's going to be a South Africa-New Zealand final. I suppose there's a chance that England could upset South Africa, but I doubt it because I don't think England's that good this year. And Argentina is really going to be above their heads trying to beat New Zealand. So New Zealand-South Africa in a final, there could be worse finals than that. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, I saw people were really fired up about um, the the quality of the rugby and the fact that it was so exciting. We, we've That's we, what you want? You know, I I I think the quarter. I think the semifinals will be far less competitive than the quarterfinals, mm. and that's just the way the draw. Um, played out. Now, if it's New Zealand and South Africa in the final, that that could be a really good one. Uh, Chet and Burnaby text in what we learned. I learned. Rick Tockett was still 26 to 1 to win the Jack Adams as of Saturday night. He says, I intend to use my winnings on a Sam Lafferty jersey. And that's an interesting one, I got to say, because you think about who wins the Jack Adams, and it's not always a coach of like a top five team, right? Like you can it's win rare, the Jack isn't Adams. It's rarely a coach, yeah. almost as a, a, it's more a coach that has a good narrative behind exactly. it. Exactly. You can win Tockett, by squeaking yeah. into the playoffs. Yeah. You know what I mean? And. Especially when you look at the Canucks. Well, first of all, how bad their goaltending was last year. So if their goaltending bounces back, because we know (laughs) coaches uh, with good goalies have a leg up in the Jack Adams as the voting typically goes. But the fact that they've put such an emphasis on his coaching specifically Mm -hmm. and changing all of the, you know, structure habits, like that's all coaching. That's all just another way of saying coaching is going to improve the team. Talk it was a massive story coming into this season, Mm -hmm. right? He was what the Canucks were. They were going to rely on him to be the difference. There was like it was like Philip Hronik and the new leadership group and Tockett. Like that was what's going to turn the Canucks around. And if the Canucks make the playoffs, I think Tockett has an excellent chance of being named Coach of the Year. That's a great bet. And already through two games, you're seeing more than enough to buy into the Tockett narrative. Like they are, it's not yeah. theoretical. They're playing. They're doing so many of the things that he has emphasized, and he's wanted them to. Tockett do. also has a lot of friends in the media that will <laughs> definitely pump him up. 
Like, don't you think those those uh, the, the the guys the, on the TNT, TNT guys yeah, will be? That's true. They're going to be talking it up, and you need that, right? You need yeah. the, you need the build, publicity. Got to got to uh, got to build your case. Uh, Spence in Maple Ridge. What we learned? I learned to listen to myself. Uh, I sat there last Sunday and watched the 49ers with big smiles and handshakes at the end of the game. And I said out loud, with witnesses, <laughs> I am betting against this team next week. They are far too content with themselves. But I couldn't pull the trigger, and I missed out on a decent payday. Uh, yeah, the 49ers also got some bad luck in that game. Like, they should have won. Their kicker should have made the kick at the end. Mm. Although they put themselves in a position on kind of like a rainy day in Cleveland, and those aren't ideal kicking situations. I think they got a rookie field goal kicker too. Um, but they also had some key injury losses. Like they lost Debo Samuel. They lost Christian McCaffrey. And then all of a sudden, Brock Purdy was in a situation where he's not all that familiar with, where he's like it's late in the game and they're trailing and he's got to make plays. And he he made enough plays – to get them into field goal range, to credit, so credit to him. But he did look not great. And the reason why he didn't look great is because Halford finally bought shares in Brock Purdy <laughs> last week. He finally admitted, okay, fine, Brock Purdy is good. So it was perfectly predictable that Brock Purdy would have kind of a shaky game. The, uh, the dreaded Mike Halford jinx. <laughs> Came yeah, into yeah. play for Brock Purdy. Here's another NFL one from Rager. What we learned is Geno Smith uh, abs- has absolutely zero pocket awareness. And watching him yesterday with multiple chances to throw the ball away or scramble to win the game was absolutely infuriating. Geno Smith said himself he didn't play very well. He took the blame. He said, basically said, I was the reason we lost this game. The defense played well, played really well. It's encouraging about the defense. And that's why oh, yeah. Pete Carroll's so happy, right? He, you know, he loves that his team has uh, a, a very much improving defense, and he loves that he has a solid running game. You know, mm-hmm. um, Gino didn't play well; he didn't make enough plays, and at the end, it's really frustrating to watch. You know, fourth down, it's a final chance for the Seahawks, and he can't even get the ball out of his hands. That's that's really tough. But you know, maybe that's an offensive line thing too. Oh, yeah, the offensive line is a huge part of it, and the pass rush and the way it was able to get home uh, for the Bengals was a big part of that one. Um, Marcus and Gibson says, what we learned, I learned Austin Matthews on pace for 246 goals this season, but the Leafs are still on pace for another first-round exit with their defense. That's from Marcus in Gibson's. You brought that up with David Amber. It's great that Austin Matthews is off to that start, that William Nylander is off to that start. But I, I was kind of thinking this with the Oilers. Like for a long time, there was the stereotype of the Oilers that they're a two-man team, right? Yeah. They're, they're McDavid and Dreisaitl, and then there's nothing else really going on. And then I think that became unfair on Wednesday last night or last week, they looked like a two-man team. And it's a similar thing with the Leafs where there was this idea that, oh, they're just about offense. They can't play defense. There's the run-and-gun Leafs. Yeah. Then I think that wasn't true anymore. That wasn't true. But, but now it might now? be back to being true because you yeah. look at that blue line. Man, between age and attrition and the guys they've lost. TJ Brody doesn't look great anymore. Mark Giordano's 40. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, and those John are guys Klingberg they're relying on. John is not on. going to win, like, the best defensive And then Riley defenseman. and Klingberg, who are not defensive stalwarts. Like, there are major, major question marks, not just for the regular season, but specifically, how are you going to hold up? How are you going to match up against other good teams when it comes to the playoffs? Uh, table saw, James, what we learned. We're a tennis nation again. Yeah, congratulations to uh, Layla Fernandez, who won the Hong Kong Open for her first title in 19 months. 
Uh, good for Layla. I did not catch much of the Hong Kong Open this weekend, I, I but either. congratulations. I mean, yes, we are a tennis nation time. again. We I remember get, we, we win we one tournament, and man. then it's like, and then we go through three years of awful injuries and bad performances, and then yeah. we're back. It was tough when we could only look to the hammer throw for inspiration <laughs> in Canada. So we're a tennis nation. We're definitely a basketball nation. We're yes. a hockey nation. We're a hammer throw nation. Yeah. Are we else? still a soccer nation, or have no. we, after the Japan-friendly no. uh, result, we dropped we are, out of that? We are not a All soccer right. nation. That was short-lived anymore um what we learned with halford being away someone needs to keep you up to date on world soccer scotland has qualified for euro 2024 yeah good for scotland let's go they have qualified uh the tournament will be held in germany belgium france portugal spain turkey and scotland have all qualified england will qualify soon uh what we learned this one again from uh Caniver, I believe you said Canavar earlier. He texted in a clarification. Oh, I saw Caniver. I guess I hope I'm saying that right. He says, uh, "What I learned is the Canucks have not one but two right-handed defense prospects for the first time in a long time. The future is looking bright, along with a couple of other defenseman prospects, uh, including the other Pedersen." And yeah, I mean, it was a big weekend. Uh, Tom Volander played his first game for Boston University, had a couple of points, including a goal. We talked about Hunter Brustevich earlier. He's really lighting things up in the OHL. I actually just think if you look at the totality of the Canucks system, from the NHL team through Abbotsford, through to their prospects in the system, like Jonathan Karamaki mm-hmm. had another good performance over the weekend. The Abbotsford Canucks won both of their first two games. Archie Baines had like a four-point night. You just want to see progress. But it might actually have been like the most positive 48 or 72 hours that the Canucks organization has had top to bottom in a long time. Yeah. Like literally all mm-hmm. of the guys, that, as you say, like, okay, I want to see progress from Brustevich, Volander, Arshdeep Baines. Like everyone that you were hoping to see have a good performance on the weekend, starting with the NHL team, yeah. obviously did it. And I was like, I can't remember the last time that happened. Yeah, it seems like with Canucks prospects, they get drafted and then we're immediately making excuses for them. And we were like, did he have mono? I bet he had mono. If he had mono, that'd be great because then we can like excuse. There's always like injury issues. And sometimes you just like, they go back. I mean, Vertanen plateaued after he got drafted. You levy plateaued Mm -hmm. after he got drafted. And people at the time will be like, you guys are making a big deal out of this. Like, it's not a big deal. Have a little patience. And yeah, you do need to have patience, but you also have to be honest, right? LeCaramaki last season, it did not go well. So it's great to see him progressing. You don't want to just continually make excuses. I'm really looking forward to seeing LeCaramaki at the World Juniors because he should be a very important player for Sweden at that turn. What's his? It's third World Juniors, isn't it? And the way he's playing in the men's league in Sweden, like he should be an absolute. He should be able to really go and do something. Like hold hold the prospects to a higher bar. Hold them to. It doesn't mean just because you just because you say this guy's having a tough season. First of all, you're not calling him a bust. You've not giving up on him. You're just telling it like it is. You're well, just saying like this is the situation. Do you think the Canucks are sit, sit around? Do you think any team when they're when their prospect has a bad year, they just sit around and they go, "Well, go to patience," right? They're like, "Oh my God, we better do something here," right? And especially with Lakaramaki last year talking about it I mean it's not his fault that he had this brutal season of mono and injuries and all that and like it's not his fault at all you're not criticizing him but it's still you would you want to see that upward trajectory continue like he 
he almost lost a year of his development. That's mm-hmm. tough. That's tough to come back to. Now it looks like he's coming back from it, and that's awesome, but it's still totally valid to be concerned about it. You would way rather, obviously, have all your prospects lighting it up and filling the net uh, and learning and progressing than being stuck in the mud like LeCaramacchi was last year, again, through no fault uh, of his own. Uh, this oh, We've got a lot of texts in about uh, the Olympics, so I-, I wanted to read one. I'll read one from Juan from Comox who says, uh, what I learned, the Olympics in, I think it's 2028, uh, in L.A., will have cricket, squash, baseball and softball, and everyone's favorite, flag football. Breakdancing is out, though. Yes. Breakdancing will be it's tough one- for you in particular. Yeah, you're a big breakdancing guy. It'll be tough. I was trying so, to get details, but I was, is it box lacrosse or field lacrosse? I believe it's field lacrosse, but I think it's like <sighs> a modified. These are all so... Because they, you know, the basketball, they introduced like three on three basketball, right? Obviously, cricket is going to be the, um, I think it's called T20, the like shortened yeah. one they do, yeah. like the cricket Premier League yeah. of, because you can't Short have test, like three, uh, three day cricket t- tests at, uh, at the Olympics. And I think the lacrosse one is going to be like six on six or something like that. Like it's a modified version of lacrosse. Flag, flag, so fake lacrosse. Flag football, though. I mean, I guess breakdancing is going to be one and done at Paris, so we'll have to enjoy it there. But flag football? Really? I think it's like they want – they know it is – there's no way to have real football, American football, at the Olympics, right? That's Do enough impossible. countries play flag football? I don't know. So, so they, but they want the attention that comes with it, so this is their best bet to do it. They're like, okay, we'll do flag What football. are the Americans going to do with their flag football team? That would be hilarious. Tyreek Hill? Can he- like, well, it's the summer. <laughs> yeah, seriously, right? And it's like, what? You're. I mean, I guess. Why like, would you, go, you not want to do that? You can pull a hammy or something, but it's not like you're going to get popped over the middle of the field. Yeah, yeah, man. They should. They should be like Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. Like, just go over there and dominate. It's uh, the same thing with three on three basketball, though, and they don't do that. But they should. I guess there's real basketball. I want to see what that looks like with real. But like, NFL if you're players. like cut from the dream team. For the Americans basketball team, you should be like, yeah, I'll go, I'll go play three on three and, and dominate, win a gold medal. I like this one from uh, Jeff from Mission. What we learned: Halford has a very sarcastic sounding voice. He doesn't even have to be sarcastic; he's just a sarcastic sounding person. <laughs> I realize this now because Jamie Dodd is such a happy sounding person. Yeah, I mean, I think Halford and I are basically like comic book guy now. Like we, anything we say will be perceived as sarcastic, and maybe especially Halford, like. He he has to actually like no I'm being serious when I'm talking about this. You're like, Worst mm. game ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh poor Halford. Uh, well, I appreciate the compliment. I guess um, you're a happy sounding. Yeah, person. I don't know. You got a big, like, I mean, like, you got a big booming what? laugh. It's like come on. It's like I'm coming in. First of all, I've worked three hours today mm-hmm. talking about sports. He's yeah. just delirious. What's not? Yeah, that's true. Uh, I like this. What we learn unsigned. It's possible to feel sports nervousness even in game two of the regular season. Um, So I have to admit, um, as a fan watching the Canucks these past few years, I have not been particularly vocal. I have not been particularly encouraging when I've been watching the Canucks. Like, there has been some disdain watching the Canucks Mm -hmm. when when I've been like, okay, they're doing this again. On Saturday against the Oilers in the third period – when they were protecting that one goal lead, I was into it. I was like, get the puck out. Like, out of boy to Smith. Like, and, it, and you know what? It felt good. I it, mentioned, felt, it felt freeing I to just be like, thing on I like yeah. this 
I yeah, like I like, I like watching that. I like this team yeah. the way they're playing right now. They're playing like a team. You're invested in every little play because yeah. they're playing it's, well. It's like if you guys care, then that's going to make me care more, right? And I think it's unfair in some ways to say like the last few years like they haven't cared. But I think their spirit in the past few years has been negatively affected by some of the things that yeah. have, that have well, occurred, including them, including them just being a bad team. And their spirit's been broken so early in the season, right? Yeah. And, the, and, and then what happens is the fan spirit gets broken, right? And I yeah. was talking to a buddy yesterday, and he's just saying, like, I'm just so excited that the season doesn't feel like it's over already, that I can actually look forward potentially, hopefully, to a whole season's worth of games where I really care about the outcome, where I'm not like kind of torn, like, oh, I kind of want them to lose this game, even though that feels weird, where I can just unabashedly cheer for the team and enjoy doing it. That's like, we talk so much about the start, I know, but like that's been what's really crushed, I think, fans in this market is that you don't even, it's like a bigger version of when you, you know, when you go to a game for your favorite team and it's like they're down three nothing in the first period. And it's like you never even have a chance to cheer for anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, well, this was a waste of time. There mm-hmm. wasn't a single good thing that happened. That's what the Canucks seasons have felt like, right? Yeah. Where you're just so down and out of it. You're like, well, the, the rest of it feels irrelevant. What they're doing now, if they can continue it, they're making themselves relevant. And yeah. I think that's what so many fans have wanted. <laughs> even if they lose the next four games on this road trip, they're still two and four. Yeah. That's salvageable. We can right? still get out of this. We yeah. can take out of this hole. Yeah, we're not done. Yeah. I mean, it, it is it is very encouraging. I said this earlier in the show, and I had someone come up to me and ask, like, is it harder for you guys when they win? I'm like, no, man. It's not. <sighs> like, like, and, and he was saying, yeah, I, I, I used to speak to some old media guys that would be like, I love it when the Canucks are bad. Like, I can just rip them. I'm like, I disagree with that. Like, it gets old. Yeah. Well, from an engagement standpoint, just looking at the podcast downloads, like we literally have double the numbers when they're when they're good. It is when the Canucks win, double the participation in the inbox. It is way better when they're. It winning. is so bad for business when the Canucks are bad. So bad. It's 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 like you start worrying. You start worrying because you're like people just lose interest. Oh wait a minute! I do this for a living and I'm losing interest. Like, yeah. what is the casual fan thinking here? Yeah. Um, if they lose interest, if the fans lose interest, we're screwed. Yeah. Like we're in big trouble. And losing teams, indifference in the marketplace doesn't help. Now, I don't think there was ever indifference in the marketplace. For whatever reason, this team has still managed to make people talk about them. And perhaps that's because they do have some tantalizing players like Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. And JT Miller, of course, is always worth talking about. Um, But anyone that tells you that if, if 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 a media guy tells you that it's easier when the team is bad, that person actually isn't very good at their job mm. because all they want to do is criticize, right? There's just so they, much. They're, they're more... just like it's just it's 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 you could we could have come in last year and we tried not to, but we could have come in last year and at times done the same show a hundred times, right? But that's boring, and people eventually are like, okay, I get it. These guys are ripping the team. The team is bad. Doesn't sound like anything I should be interested in. And I'm busy in life and I only have a certain amount of time to dedicate to watching sports or doing anything with my free time. I'll check out. And that's terrible for our business. Uh, Last word to Jason Lynn Valley. What I learned on Saturday night, my entire family watched the entire Vancouver Canucks game start to finish. That hasn't happened in four years. He says, go Canucks, go. Uh, That does it for us today. Halford will be back tomorrow. You've got it here on Sportsnet 650. Thank mm-hmm. you.